Hello, and welcome to the MSL Consultant Podcast. I'm your host and founder of MSL Consultant, Aoife O'Dwyer. Today on the podcast, I interview Raquel Washington, Executive Director, Value Evidence Lead, Novartis US Medical. Raquel shares her experience on how MSLs can own their development, the steps required to progress in their careers, where to find those opportunities to grow, and how to build relationships with those people in your network who will advocate for your growth. Raquel has had an incredible career in pharma so far and shares specific examples from her own pharma career and some of the challenges she overcame to get to where she is today. Enjoy the episode. Hello, Raquel, and welcome to the MSL Consultant Podcast. Thank you for having me. So before we get into the topic today, can you introduce yourself to the audience? Uh, Sure. So my name is Raquel Washington, and I am currently the Executive Director of Value Evidence Lead at Novartis. I have over 20 years of sales and medical affairs experience at Merck, Biogen, Pfizer, and Amgen. Of course, I said I'm currently at Novartis. And the majority of my career has really been in the filled MSL uh, role, so remote roles. And in 2016, I joined Novartis. And it was really um, at a time in my career that I was just ready to be curious, challenge myself, try new experiences. And shortly after joining, that's when I decided to set a development goal of becoming a people leader. And my Novartis development journey, that's really where I gained my growth mindset um, and became an expert, what I would say an expert in career development strategies. So, you know, during my time at Novartis, um, since that's my most recent role, I've progressed um, in role. I went from an associate director to a director cardiovascular MSL role. Then I became a director of population health account management. And that's a role that really focuses on um, management of healthcare systems and payers. And now my current role is executive director of value evidence lead for the east half of the country. And I manage a team of 11 uh, associate director and director level MSLs that cover systems and payers. So before I start, I want to give uh, a disclaimer that um, the career development advice that I'm sharing today is based on my own personal experiences and does not reflect the views or opinions of my employer, Novartis. Fantastic. And can you share with the audience how they can create a framework for their own development? So my goal and when I thought about this podcast was really to figure out like how I can share my experience to empower MSLs to unleash the power of you, right? Um, And in my opinion, MSLs should take ownership of their career development. Your manager is your ally um, and they can help you, but you should drive those planning um, and development conversations doing your regular one-on-ones and check-ins. Regarding a framework, I would recommend the 70-20-10 rule. So that means that 70% of your career uh, growth should be from experiences. Um, So like challenge assignments or projects, 20% should be from networking with peers and leaders. And actually only 10% should be formal coursework, like online training workshops or university learning, um, or even your own internal learning management system training. Um, You know, to be honest, I didn't know this early in my career. 
um, and to be vulnerable. I didn't want to believe it once I, you know, started actually seeing it. Um, you know, if you're an MSL, you may be a PhD or a PharmD. Like I had survived a PharmD and an MBA. And by studying hard and scoring well on tests, I, I achieved, right? I excelled. And in college, you do 70% formal coursework, 20% experiences, right? Rotations or what have you, 10% networking. In the pharmaceutical industry, it's different. I strongly suggest the 70-20 rule. Um, you need to gain experiences, have stretch assignments, build your uh, enterprise network. And so experiences and stretch assignments are really a way to just dip your toe in the water um, and try something new without taking a uh, making a commitment to a role change. And some experiences you'll decide that you love and you want to do more of. Others you'll decide that's not your cup of tea and that's okay. Um, yeah. And so that's that's what I recommend. I think it's such a brilliant point as well, because as you said, so many MSLs, they're former PhDs, they might be PharmDs, they come from hugely academic backgrounds and they're used to studying and they're very good at studying and very good at getting good marks. But in order to progress in your career, you need to put your hand up for things that maybe are a little bit uncomfortable so you can gain that experience and gain that confidence as well. And you can't just hide away and just study in the corner the whole time. You actually have to get out there and do those experience that put you outside of your comfort zone. Exactly. And I'd love to learn a little bit more from your personal experience. So what was the thing that struck you the most when you got your first job in pharma? Um. So I would say early in my career, um, at my first few pharma jobs, I really learned the hard way that intellect, academics, and top performance, they're just not enough to get you promoted. I used to start a job and I would put on my horse blinders and I would just focus on excelling on that job description. But really, I mean, I've witnessed uh, a change in the pharmaceutical industry landing MSL roles is becoming more difficult and competitive. So now when I start a job, I focus on how can I articulate how my execution in that role um, will positively impact the organization um, and patient lives. And, and over, over time, I've learned that um, impactful storytelling um, with qualitative insights and quantifying my outcomes or KPIs is key. And, and career development should really focus on upskilling or filling an unmet skill need within the organization um, so that you can create a measurable impact within your company. And MSL performance, right, is not tied to product sales. So you really got to get that storytelling down, um, insight gathering and sharing, and your KPI achievements. That's what's necessary to demonstrate your MSL impact. So um, those are the things I think that kind of stick with me now um, based on when I first started. Yeah. And I think it's such a good point as well that, as you said, for a sales rep, they'll have a target. And if they exceed the target, then they're exceeding and they're adding impact and value to the company. But with an MSL and with medical affairs, it's more harder. It's more difficult to really demonstrate that value. So it's something we need to consciously think about. It's not enough just to go out and see KOLs. What does that actually mean for the company? Okay, you're collecting insights. What does that mean for the company? You're meeting with tier one, tier two, tier three KOLs. What impact is that having on what the company is trying to achieve? And the strategy is a really important thing to keep in mind. 
And would you be able to give an example of how you've used the 70-20-10 rule in your own career development within the pharma industry? Um, yes. Yeah. So let's start by, you know, talking about the 70% challenge experience. So once I decided I want to go, wanted to go into a people leader role, I asked my manager if they would share a job description for or share their job description, right? Um, and then I looked at those responsibilities and skill sets. And I had to be honest and reflective um, and, and ask other people for feedback. Um, I had to think about like, what is my superpower? What do I do better than anybody else? Um, and if people don't know what their superpowers are, I recommend Clifton Strength Finders uh, 2.0. It's an assessment and a book that can be purchased, I think less than $20 on, on Amazon. But one of my superpowers is galvanizing others towards achieving a common goal. So, you know, basically execution excellence. And um, through my corporate social media uh, platform, I was able to join and volunteer a global work stream that was working on developing a virtual live tra training program for the organization on how to ask, give, and receive feedback. So this training program was a part of a larger cultural change, and it was designed to help the organization launch our new performance management uh, platform. And I really enjoyed participating in this work stream so much, and this is all virtually, that I volunteered to become a, a certified global feedback training facilitator so that I can train people in my field medical department. Um, and when I initially asked about this, I was told no. They initially, I guess, were targeting managers to do this training. And I explained that although my title was director, I was developing towards a people leader role. I had the experience and knowledge to facilitate, and I convinced them. And so um, participating in the course was not easy. I live in Eastern Standard Time. The training was in a European time zone, um, but I, I had to make it work. And then... Um, after I, I got certified, I realized that I couldn't go it alone. You know, you can do more with other people. And so I found some like-minded individuals within my team to work with me. And um, together, we trained over 50% of the field MSL teams on this feedback training um, within just a couple of months. And so um, what we did to really showcase um, and gain support is we worked with our managers to get invited to the national director meeting of, the, you know, the national directors for all the field medical MSL teams. And we told them about the program, why it was important. We asked for their help to get participation because participation was voluntary. This was not a mandatory training, but it was a key part of our new performance management system. And so um, that's how we were able to get some visibility and really demonstrate our, our value and work. You know, we joined the call before to educate them before we educated the team, uh, asked for their participation to get people to join. Um, and then afterwards, we joined their call and said, hey, this is where we started. This is where we um, where we were able to train over 50% of the team. And this is how it's going to help your managers. So this um, opportunity, I think, did twofold for me, right? It was... Uh, important for not only my professional, but my personal growth, right? We all need to be better at uh, giving feedback. And I knew that if I was developing as a leader, I wanted to grow in my ability to give 
uh, receive and ask for feedback. Um, you know, a lot of times you get feedback and, and you know, you can feel defeated or you can de feel deflated. And I didn't want that. And I didn't want to um, have my, my direct reports when I eventually got them. I want them to be open to giving me feedback and have that muscle. I also wanted to be comfortable asking for feedback, you know, and, and soliciting it. And so, um, this was good because it got those hiring managers, right? Those national directors that hire the, the MSL managers to experience my leadership um, and just uh, help me become a better receiver and giver of feedback. And there's a couple of things based on the story you just told that I really want to um, pull out. Number one is that you were told no initially that you couldn't do this training, but you didn't let it stop you. You actually influenced the decision makers within your organization to convince them that they should let you do the training and then you were successful. I, I think that in itself, it's such an important lesson because it sounds like you didn't take that no as, oh, well, that's it, I'm gonna give up. You took that no as, okay, well now I have to build a business case as to why it would make sense yeah. for them to let me do this training, which I, I think in itself is such a brilliant lesson. Um, and also you talked about when you were in the training, with I believe it was the the managers you talked about the baseline well this is where we were at the start of the meeting or the start of the training and this is where we are now we've trained over 50 percent of the MSLs mm -hmm. and I think that is such a brilliant takeaway for people listening as well because it's about being able to quantify what you actually did so when it comes to leadership um, opportunities you're not talking about really fluffy things that are kind of like, oh, I did this. You're actually able to say, well, no, um, together with X amount of people, I trained over 50% of the MSLs. It's very, very concrete. Um, yeah, which is great. Um, so you mentioned training field medical. Um, what exactly were you training them on? So specifically, I trained our MSL team on how to use the COIN model. And the COIN model is a guide for asking, giving, and receiving feedback. Um, and COIN stands for connection, which is a C, observation, the O, impact, the I, and N, next steps. So connection is really just asking for permission to give feedback, making sure that person is in a, a headspace where they're open to receiving it. Observation boils down to just the facts, right? Not your opinion. What was the behavior that you saw? What was the action that was taken? Um, impact, what was the impact of that behavior or action on you, the team, and the organization? And then next steps, I think it's important because it ends on a positive note. Um, it means what were your next steps? What might you do differently next time based on the feedback that you got? Um, what did you learn? Or maybe what will you continue to do? And so the COIN model, basically what it did um, at, at my company is that it provided a common language so that we all knew, okay, my manager's connecting with me. She's stating the observations. What was the impact? Um, and this was actually implemented in our one-on-one -on -one check ins um, and it became a part of our performance management documentation. So you can see how uh, this experience had a large impact within the MSL team. And I learned about this just on the social media platform. My manager didn't tell me about it. Um, someone didn't tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, you know, I saw this was something that I was interested in. I said, hey, I would like to be involved. I want to bring this to my team. How can I help? Yeah. And it sounds as well like the coin model. And thank you for sharing that framework. It's something that 
as you were teaching people about the coin model, you obviously had to be an expert in it yourself. And I'm sure you didn't just read about it, but you actually started to implement it because that's really where that confidence to go back to what we were talking about earlier. You would have experienced probably using it and then you were able to share some of those experiences when you were training others as well. Yes. And do you have any other suggestions for MSLs to help them identify experiences or assignments for their development plan? Um, so I'm happy to share a few things that I've done throughout my career. Um, I've done an ad interim leadership opportunity to cover a vacancy, and that could be as short as maybe a week or maybe it's a year, you know, depending upon how long that position is vacant. But that allowed me to have hands-on experience managing an MSL team. Um, and then you need to let your manager know, like, hey, this is something that I'm interested in because it might be managing your team. It might be managing another team. Um, I also created um, an oncology market access leadership rotation. Um, I set uh, objectives. I spent about uh, two to three hours a week working on it over the, uh, over about three months. Um, and I've also asked to join in just shadow meetings. For example, I've asked to join a product planning and budgeting call meeting because I wanted to understand how the company made go or no-go uh, decisions on clinical trials and data projects. And as an MSL, right, you support clinical trials, but you don't know how those decisions are made on which trials move forward and which ones don't and how they're modified and things like that. So sometimes I think it's just a matter of um, volunteering for something. Other times you have to like say, hey, this is something that I want to be involved in and that's of interest to you. I think you can look for business problems that need solving. Uh, you can look at a process that needs to be improved and get your matrix partners, like your, whether it's within the MSL team or other teams together, and think about how you're going to solve it. And then you can propose that to your manager and leadership. Um, that's owning your development. And that's, I think, what will set you apart in your career. You want to make sure you don't forget about impactful storytelling. You do all this great experience, but if you don't share with other people what you're learning and what you're doing, um, you won't, you know, attract sponsors. And just know that it's not enough just to do an excellent job, but you have to be able to articulate the impact to your team, your organization, and what's the benefit to patients. Yeah. And you mentioned um, you did an interim leadership opportunity to cover a vacancy. So, for example, even if it was something as simple as you're talking to someone and they're mentioned that they're going on holidays for two weeks, is that a situation where an MSL could say, oh, look, I'd be happy to be the point of contact for your team in those two weeks that you're on vacation? Would be something like that be appropriate, do you think, in certain settings? So I would say if that is in if being a people leader is in your development, make sure you're having those conversations with your manager and, and letting them know, because um, maybe they may not be on going on yeah. leave or, you know, but there might be someone else and let them know that you're open to uh, covering other areas as well. I know I was on a team that um, was very seasoned, so there wasn't a lot of mentoring opportunities. So I told my manager, I said, well, I love coaching and helping people development and onboarding if there are opportunities to support other teams that are expanding, 
I would like to support them on that. And even if I don't know the disease state, I know our expense system, I know our compliance rules, I know all the nuts and bolts and things that they need to do the job. And so even though it's not in my disease area, I could do that. So the same thing, right? Like maybe I don't know the disease state for the the manager that's going out, but I can help with the day-to-day things on how to be an MSL. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think you just have to ask and be creative. And you may have to ask more than once, right? Yeah. And it's almost like you're foreseeing potential objections that a manager might have. So that's why you're saying, okay, well, I don't know the disease area, but I do know XXX, Y, Y, Y. So you'll think about some of concerns that they might have and think about how you can alleviate those concerns when you're presenting yourself to them as well. Exactly. And you mentioned um, earlier that you need to share what you're doing with others. Let's dive into that a little bit. Do you mean your manager in one-on-ones or do you mean getting a spot at leadership meetings? Do you mean telling your colleagues and your peers about it? What does that really look like? What's the best way for MSLs to communicate what they're doing? What should that plan look like? I think it's all of that. Um, Some of the things, like I'll give an example, just referring back to the feedback example. Um, once we did the training, we asked for permission to join the, the national director call so that all the, the leaders could hear how their individual teams were doing, right? We shared the completers. Um, did we meet our objective of, you know, training X amount of MSLs? So we joined the call. Um, you might just share with your team call. You might share on a national call. Uh, a lot of companies have bulletins, right? Your department may have a bulletin or field medical excellence may have a bulletin. Maybe you put it in a bulletin. You can share it on your company's social media platform. Um, and then also just talk to your manager and say, who who would be interested in knowing this information? What departments may benefit? And that may actually give you the opportunity to have visibility outside of just the MSL team, right? Maybe you have exposure to field medical or operations or the clinical trials team. Um, It just depends. So I would be creative and just talk with your manager about how to best get visibility of your experiences and what you're learning. It's almost like creating a data dissemination plan once you've done certain things to be like, okay, well, how do I get the word out there that I'm an expert in this type of training or I can help out with this particular thing? Okay. Um, So, yeah, thanks for sharing some great examples of how to implement the 70% experience or assignment rule. Can you share examples of the 20% networking rule? Um, so I quickly realized, okay, I'm doing these experiences, but how am I going to find out about them? So I had to, you know, you find out about projects, assignments through your network. And, you know, really as a person of color, I entered corporate America with the college mindset. You know, I'm going to work hard. I'll be rewarded. People will notice me. I'll be tapped on the shoulder for career opportunities. And it took me a few companies to realize, like, that's not how it works. And if I keep doing the same thing, I'm going to get the same results. And that's insanity. So I really have been intentionally focusing on that 20%. So networking. And I knew that I had to expand my network if I wanted to attract sponsors. And when you say a sponsor, what do you mean? So a sponsor is 
well, let me back up. So you have to develop um, relationship currency in your organization. And you do that by, you know, giving something to get something. So a mutual exchange of benefits. Um, a sponsor, there are people who may champion you. They may be key leaders. They may have influence. Uh, there are people that can speak on your behalf when you're not in the room um, and speak to your brand or your your work. And most times, you know, you just can't ask folks up front, um, hey, will you be my sponsor? <laughs> it's something that occurs organically um, when you network intentionally. Okay, so you, you become someone who is known for something, who does good work, who's likable, um, and then people will kind of advocate on your behalf then because of that. Yes, and once you have the relationship, right, then you can advocate. So for example, um, if I worked with somebody on a project and I'm looking to maybe join their team, right? I'm looking to change roles within the organization. I might ask that person to advocate on my behalf with their manager, right? Mm. Or if I work with that manager, I may say, hey, I'm interested in a role in your team. Can you keep me in mind and let me know when there are opportunities available? Yeah. And can you give some examples of how to network within Pharma? So... I recommended the mutual exchange of benefits strategy, right? In order, if you give something, you have the right to ask for something in return. And so I have five strategies really that I use. Um, sharing connections, sharing information, sharing my journey, uh, sharing tips or tricks, and sharing opportunities. So um, sharing connections, that's how you also create relationship currency. And just yesterday, I spoke to a friend and he was looking to apply for a job on LinkedIn. And he was like, hey, do you know anybody at Company X? And um, I actually connected him with two people at this company, uh, one through LinkedIn. And so one, after connecting with him and, and chatting, they're like, hey, I think you'd be great for this role. They sent him a referral link. So he was able to apply through the referral link. Uh, the other person said, you know, your background sounds very interesting. I'd like to share with you my career journey um, and see if you'll be interested in my career path. Um, so that's one example. Um, sharing information, like a, how I shared the COIN model with the national directors, uh, sharing your journey. Um, I've shared my journey as a Black woman navigating corporate America by serving as a panelist on my company's DNI paddle. Um, that's a way to show vulnerability, right? And as a leader, you need to be open to sharing your story and your experiences. Um, you can share tips and tricks. Um, I'm a part of HBA, so I, I share information that I learned from that organization. I'm also a member of Women of Color and Pharma, and I share uh, information that I learned with that organization with other people. And then you could also just simply post things on or repost things on LinkedIn. Um, so sharing tips and tricks can be pretty easy. And then sharing opportunities. Um, I'm uh, Novartis's uh, McKinsey Connected Leaders Academy Program Champion. And so that is a leadership training program that McKinsey offers for its partner organizations, and it's free. And so I worked with our ERGs to increase awareness about enrollment opportunities. So those are just some examples that are kind of simple on how you can network within your organization and in pharma. 
Fantastic. And you mentioned career aspirations. So does that mean before you started any of your development, and it sounds like you alluded to this at the very start, that you had a clear goal in mind? For example, you wanted to become a medical affairs people leader in a certain amount of years. Um, so in my head, I had a goal, okay, I want to be a field MSL leader within four years, but I quickly realized like, that's just an erroneous timeline. You, you have to be fluid. Your goals really have to align with the organization's business needs. Um, but the one thing that I can control is my willingness and my commitment to continuing to develop and gain experiences while I'm waiting and looking for that right opportunity. Um, so that way I can be a stronger candidate when that opportunity becomes available. And that's how I actually ended up transitioning from the uh, field MSL role to the market access uh, field medical team because I wanted to grow and gain more experiences. And. In terms of um, one of the things you mentioned earlier, it, you talked about an oncology leadership rotation. So can you provide some steps like top level, what you did in order to create an oncology leadership rotation? So interestingly, when I reached out to uh, them, they had a rotation, but it was for an individual contributor and I wanted to do something different. So I created a list of desirable experiences that I wanted to do, my learning objectives and, and who I wanted to network with within that group. And then I had to sell the idea actually to my manager and my manager's boss. And I had to negotiate my time commitment. We were uh, in a product launch and um, those launch activities were business priority. So basically I, I laid out a plan, right? Put it on paper on how I would maintain my individual contributor work um, and my performance while managing the rotation. I committed to pausing the rotation, right? If the, if the business need demanded it or if my performance um, suffered. And my mom actually was hospitalized with COVID during my rotation. And I did pause it for a few weeks because I had to maintain my work-life balance because this was extra, right? My priority is my yeah. day job. And so, you know, like I mentioned, I, I probably spent two to three hours a week for about three months. Um, and at the end of the rotation, I actually shared my findings because what I wanted to do was compare and contrast the oncology market access group to the pharma market access group. What do we do the same? What did we do differently? And how can we lift the boats of, of, of both teams? And so I invited Field Medical Excellence and the leaders from both teams to participate and share my findings and have a discussion. So that's another way, right? Like you can't just do the work, you have to deliver and tell a story around your experiences, what you've learned in order to get that visibility in order to attract sponsors. And it's such a brilliant lesson as well, because again, this goes back to your earlier point about um, giving to others and helping with networking. It's not like you're saying to them, oh, I'm just going to tell you about what I did. It's a bit like, oh, I'd like to share some learnings that potentially can be applicable across both pharma and oncology to improve best practice across the organization. So you have, based on your rotation, something really, really valuable that you're then giving back to a very senior um, leadership team. And when you were talking to your boss and your boss's boss, I love that. And it makes perfect sense when you say it, you had to um, alleviate any concerns they had that you doing this additional project would affect your day-to-day -day job and would impact the launch that you were going through. Um, and even setting out the steps 
if they felt at any time that you were unable to do your current job because you were spending too much time that you were like, well, I can pause it or I can stop it. So again, it's just creating that business case and handling any objections that they might have and, and really making it quite difficult for them to say no, it sounds like, um, because you've really thought about it from their point of view and what they would need in order to feel comfortable um, with you taking on this extra um, responsibility. And I will say I didn't start it when I wanted to start it. Um, that was part of the negotiation. So I, you know, I there were some key KPIs I needed to meet right uh, for the launch, and so I waited until after that period and started it actually a few months later. So you, it is a negotiation because you have to look at it from your manager's perspective. Um, they have to make sure and support you in your day job, right? And the growth and development, um, at least for me, this was not a skill set for my current role. Maybe if it was a skill set for my current role, she may have been more open to yeah. it. But this was something different, right? I was just being curious and exploring. And so that's extra. And you have to take care of your performance in your day job before you can do something extra. So you have to be flexible. Um but I, I do feel that managers do support you. They want to see you do well. So if you can make a strong business case and you can fulfill your commitments, they'll, they'll support you. Yeah. And um, you talked about a social media platform. So I think it's like an internal Slack channel that you have at your company. So this is something that's in most large organizations. Um, and then you also talked about key influencers. So can you give some insight as to what you mean when you say a key influencer internally and how people can identify these key influencers? And for people who have these internal Slack channels with their companies, what would you recommend? Should they check it maybe on a daily basis? What types of opportunities should they be looking for in these um, types of channels? So for me, there's certain areas of interest. I'm interested in career development, career coaching. Uh, I was interested in market access, oncology. And so usually there's small groups and you can follow those groups, just like you can follow someone on LinkedIn, right? So I recommend following groups or departments that are of interest to you. And at most organizations that I've been at, leaders are on uh, the social media platforms and they're posting things. People that have projects and are soliciting uh, help, they're posting things. And so I would say it just depends on you. You can check once a week. Um, you can check once a month. I would say maybe once a week is probably pretty good because you can do a quick glance. Um, but that's where I've found a lot of opportunities and learned about new initiatives within the organization um, is through that. Um, and then regarding influencers, I would say you got to check the org charts, right? Who are the hiring managers? Who are the project leads? Uh, where do you want to go? Is there a department or an experience that you want to gain? And people that can um, offer opportunities for projects, assignments, those are the influencers, right, that you want to have relationships with. And so um, it makes it easier, right, with your networking, if you're able to maybe share something from your team, right, that helps them in their role, and you can have that mutual exchange of benefit. Um, but really, an influencer is someone that can help you further your career, um, just depending upon what your career path is and what and, and department. And so we've gone through the 70%, the 20% part of development. And can you share what you do for the final 10% of the plan? What does that look like for you? 
So 10% is that formal learning. So it could be LinkedIn, right? LinkedIn has learning. It could be Congress attendance. Uh, it could be your company's internal learning management system. It could be getting your MBA. Uh, it could be getting an AI certification. Um, recently, I uh, completed uh, McKinsey's Leadership Accelerator Program. Um, and I mentioned this is a program that they offered. It was formal. It was a formal four-month program. Um, and I think you can look at things internally and externally, right? Maybe it's something with um, HBA or another organization that you're in. Um, and, and so I hope that helps. Um, you know, my goal today was really to hope that my career development journey kind of triggers curiosity in your leaders, maybe inspires them or readers, listeners, <laughs> um, and empowers them to uncover their own unique power. Um, hopefully they'll consider implementing that 70-20 rule. It gives you a nice foundation and structure on how to manage your plan. Um, and there's power in each and every one of us, right? Like we can own our own development. You don't have to wait until somebody brings something up to you. You can look for opportunities, have a conversation with your manager, let people know what you're interested in. Um, your development interest should not be a secret from your manager. They should know. Um, and, and just don't wait to be tapped on the shoulder and selected or disappointed because you weren't selected for something. I've uh, put my name in the hat to be a product lead. I don't know how many times. I was never selected. Yeah. <laughs> and, and maybe those skill sets just weren't the best for me. Other people that were more qualified that were selected. But I looked for other things. I just didn't say, oh, well, I wasn't selected or, oh, I wasn't picked. What What is my superpower and what can I do? Um, to continue to grow and, and, you know, lead. And I think we all, like, you don't have to wait to your, or you don't have to be a people leader to lead. Like, we're all leaders. We can lead from the seat that we're in. Yeah, I, I love that lead from the seat that you're in. Um, I've been speaking to a lot of MSLs recently um, about career progression, and I'd love to get your thoughts on something. Um in your opinion, if you can learn more and maybe earn more or earn the same amount, but the title is lower or the same, do you think an MSL should take that job? Ooh, that's a very good question. Especially now, it seems like there's a lot of transition in the in the industry. So in my opinion, this is what I see. Like pharma trends, staffing trends go up and down. Right. Companies size up for a launch. They size down once the product matures um, and organizations are becoming more lean um, as they become more lean. They're going to be flatter organizations with fewer leadership opportunities. So I strongly recommend that people or not people, but MSLs think of their career as a game of uh, tic-tac-toe, to be honest. Um, the future MSL role, role will require you to have a career portfolio of experiences and skills. So not just looking at, um, am I making vertical advancement, but what is my portfolio of experiences? So you might make a vertical move up initially, like getting promoted from MSL to senior MSL or associate horizontal move like I did right? And where I joined the market access team to learn more disease states and gain a new market access skill. You might take a headquarters-based role because you want to learn more about medical director or strategy and you might lose your car, right? So that's a little bit of a, benef uh, a benefit loss. And so you might even have to change organizations as a result of a downsizing. So I think 
MSLs can't be afraid of changing companies, losing a vehicle, um, maybe taking a small salary change. I wouldn't say, you know, take a drastic change, but maybe taking a small change. Um, you know, after 20 years in pharma, I still think the remote field MSL role is the best role in the company. It's the most flexible role. The most uh, growth can happen from that role and go into other areas. Um, so if you're happy in an MSL role and you're continuing to grow in that role, like don't make a change. Um, once you're mid-career, um, I think taking on more formal education may not result in a pay increase, right? Um, I would only get an additional degree or certification um, if it was a requirement for the role that you're trying to move to or if it would help differentiate you. Um, and, and think about that 70% of your learning should really be through experience. So focus on that tic-tac-toe board of creating a a portfolio where you have this diverse horizontal and vertical experiences um, and what your career map is going to look like and your trajectory will really depend upon um, what roles that you're interested in. You know, are you interested in commercial? Are you interested in operations, field medical excellence? Are you really uh, focused on clinical trials? And uh, that will probably really drive like how your salary changes, right? Depending upon those areas. And, um, and, and in my opinion, like no matter where you want to take your MSL career, staying in role or, or moving to another area of your organization, you need to develop and execute a robust development plan. At the same time, you have to intentionally grow your uh, enterprise network and that will help you earn more over your career. Yeah, I, I think really, really brilliant advice. Um, Raquel, thank you so much for your time today and sharing your personal experience and also sharing a really detailed framework that people can actually apply when they listen to the episode. Uh, where, can people, where can people connect with you to learn more? So my name is Raquel Washington. I hope you will follow and connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, reach out and consider me as a part of your network. Um, I post about career coaching, development, and networking, um, and I'm a connector and teacher by heart. And so I enjoy sharing my career development knowledge and empowering others to just reach their full potential. Um, and thanks for having me. And it's been a pleasure to chat with you and your listeners today. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed the conversation today. Thank you.